Today on Resonate, we'll see the faithfulness of God to His people, both in the past and the present. Here's Trent Griffith. He put up with them. How many of you are grateful that God puts up with you? Why does God put up with them? We look at that and like, why would He even bother? Why would He even bother putting up with us? Do you know why He puts up with us? Because He's a keeper of His promise. And He sanctifies us and He uses trials and discipline to get us to a better place. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. I want you to listen to the words of this song. It's by singer-songwriter Michael Card, and it's straight from the 1980s. So the style is, well, a bit dated, but listen to what it says. You and me, we use so very many clumsy words. The noise of what we often say is not worth being heard. When the Father's wisdom wanted to communicate His love, He spoke it in one final perfect word. He spoke the incarnation and then so was born the Son. His final word was Jesus. He needed no Okay, you might not have been born yet when that was recorded, but that was like cutting-edge contemporary Christian music of its day, so don't knock it. Now, here's the point. God is a God who keeps His Word, and even better than that, God kept His Word by causing His Word to become flesh, and we celebrate that every year at Christmas time. So if you read your Bible and you see a promise of God, you should ask yourself, How does this promise get fulfilled in Jesus? Because in Christ, as another more current worship song says, all your promises are yes and amen. Well, this summer on Resonate, Pastor Trent has taken us on an epic journey through some of the key stories in the Old Testament. Today and next week, he'll review those and remind us that our God is a God who keeps his word. From a message recorded right after the solar eclipse of 2017, here's Pastor Trent. Bibles open, Acts chapter 16. And if you've been following along this summer, that's the first time I've asked you to open to the New Testament all summer long. And uh, you're going to see the significance, the epic significance of that in just a moment as you're finding your place. Let me ask you, how many of you um, know what you were doing at around two o'clock on Monday afternoon? Did you watch the eclipse? How many of you looked something like this around two o'clock? And you're like staring up into the sky. I remember the last time we had an eclipse, I was 12 years old. And of course, the teachers at school told us, you cannot look at the sun or you'll fry a hole in your skull. And so that scared us enough. So she had us make this shoebox thing where you had to poke a hole in one end. And uh, if you're on a budget and can't afford $400 sunglasses like these, you know, you, you can do it too. And, and you had to look at the other end of the shoebox and you just kind of saw the silhouette of the eclipse. How many of you are tracking with me there? And so I was so excited here years later that the technology had been developed where you could actually stare at the sun through these. And so there I was and uh, lo and behold, I saw exactly what I saw when I was 12 on the back of the shoebox. So anyway, um, did you watch it? Here's the question. Not only did you watch it, 
but did you worship? Not worship the sun or the moon, but did you worship the creator of what you were seeing? If you didn't worship while you watched, you missed the epic significance of what was going on, and you weren't the only one. That morning, I watched the news, and they had this uh, physicist, futurist dude. I think his name was Michio Kaku, which is a great name for a physicist. And this is what he had to say about the eclipse. Watch this. First of all, this should be on everyone's bucket list. Yeah. Okay? You just got to see it. Now, I'm a physicist, and this is about as close as a scientist can get to a spiritual experience. You feel like you're at one with the universe. Cosmic forces right there in your sunglasses. I just got it's goosebumps. incredible. Well, we are witnessing a cosmic coincidence. The sun is 400 times farther away than the moon, but it's also 400 times bigger than the moon. Yeah. And the two numbers cancel exactly, and that's why the moon is gonna go right in front of the sun. Mm -hmm. This is a cosmic coincidence, and here we are to witness something like that in your own backyard. That is as close as a scientist can get to having a spiritual experience. And yet he didn't have one. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. The fact that you could look at the creation and think it's a cosmic coincidence. Or the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Day after day, he utters forth speech, and night after night, he reveals knowledge. God is disclosing himself in the heavens, and God discloses himself in our hearts, and he has disclosed himself with what we have in our hands. God wants to be known, and God wants to be worshipped. The only thing worse than a scientist gazing at creation and missing the epic significance that it has a creator is someone who reads their Bible, especially the stories of the Old Testament, and fails to see Jesus. It's all pointing to something greater. It's all pointing us to something that is to come. That's what we've been studying in this series called Epic. And today we are wrapping it up. If you're here for the first time, you came on a great day. The last part of a 10-part series. And I'm going to preach the whole series right now. Okay, so buckle your seatbelts. Hope you don't have lunch plans. Here's the first point. Encouragement comes from knowing the Bible's one epic story. If there was a test at the end of this series, the first question on the test would be this. How many stories does the Bible have? The answer is one story. Second question on the test. Who's the hero of every story? Jesus, you are going to pass this test. As I can see, this is going great, okay? Now, we're going to see this from the New Testament now, from a preacher who was a Bible fathead. He knew the stories of the Old Testament better than anybody in this room. He had studied them. He'd immersed himself in them. He had taught them, but he never got the point until Jesus revealed himself to him. His name was Saul. It had such an epic impact upon his life, it changed his name. 
Now we know him as Paul. He's going to write half the New Testament explaining the epic significance of the Old Testament. And we're going to see the transcript of his first sermon right here in Acts chapter 13. Let me set it up before we're going to dive into it here. This is after the four biographies of Jesus. So in our New Testament, it opens up with four biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The fifth book in the New Testament is the book of Acts. It's the history book of the New Testament. It tells about the creation and the growth of the early church and the key figures and the key leaders that were involved in it. And it tells us that they didn't stay in Jerusalem. They didn't even stay in Israel. They got the gospel out to the hardest places. And the story we're about to read doesn't take place within the boundaries of Israel. We're going to find out where it takes place. Let's begin reading in verse 13, Acts 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail for Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now you have to get your characters right in the story, okay? So this is Paul, whose previous name was Saul, and this is John, but that's actually referring to John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, and at this point in his life, we believe he was kind of a young believer, a little immature in his faith. We don't know why he left Paul, but he probably shouldn't have. Paul actually later says that he deserted me. So maybe he got homesick, maybe he realized it, that there's not going to be a, a fan club waiting for them when they got to the next de- destination, and so he went home. Verse 14, But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. Here's an interesting note. If you read back up in verse 1 of chapter 13, this whole story starts out in Antioch, and yet it says they went to Antioch. What what, what does that mean? Well, here's what I found out. There were 16 different cities in the region called Antioch. Apparently, there was a guy whose dad's name was Antiochus, and he just thought every place ought to be named after him. So he named every place he went. Antioch. Aren't you glad he came to church? You can't get this stuff on CBS News. I mean, this is, this is stuff you have to dig out, all right? So this particular Antioch was in Pisidia. It was far away from Jerusalem, but there was a Jewish congregation there, and they had a synagogue. So on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Why did they go into the synagogue, and why did they sit down? Answer, because it was the Sabbath, And if you were Jewish, that's what you did. Nobody woke up in a Jewish home and said, you know, it's the Sabbath. What do you you think we ought to do today? You want to fix waffles? You want to go to synagogue. You want to go to the ballgame? You want to go to synagogue? Nobody asked that question. So if anybody in your home ever asked, are we going to church today? It's Sunday. We're going to church. That's what we do. It's not a question. We're going to do this. And that's what they did in that culture. And the reason was they sincerely were trying to connect with the Lord. But again, they were having a hard time doing it because they didn't understand the stories in the Old Testament. Notice what verse 15 says. After reading from the law and the prophets. Now, anytime you see those That phrase, the law and the prophets, that's code language in the Bible for the Old Testament. The law referring to the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, 
And then the prophets, there were major prophets and minor prophets. That's usually the back half of the, the Old Testament. And it's prophets like Daniel and prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah. And we looked a little bit at Malachi last week. All these prophets. So I want you to imagine you're a Jew in first century Israel or Antioch. And you go to synagogue and you sit down and the same thing happens today that happens every Sabbath. Some dude stands up, whips out the Old Testament, and reads to you the law. The do's and the don'ts of the Bible. And you realize pretty quick, you know what? I do some things it tells me don't, and I don't some things that it tells me to do. And so, I wonder what they're going to read from next. So we have the law. Now let's, let's, let's read from the prophets. And the prophets are going to tell us what God does in judgment to the people who do when they aren't supposed to and don't when they should. Isn't that an encouraging place to go to? They did that every Sabbath. They went and they read from the law and the prophets. Anybody excited about that? They did that for hundreds of years. And so it says, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, Paul, and his companions, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Because we're looking into their face and they look pretty discouraged. Because all we've been telling them is what they're not supposed to do and what they are supposed to do, and they're not doing it. And then to encourage them further, we read about the judgment they will incur for what they're doing in breaking God's law. So he says, guys, if you can think you can encourage these people, why don't you get up and say it? Now, let me just tell you, that is like saying sick them to a dog if you are a preacher, okay? If you have any word of encouragement, then say it. And so Paul, verse 16, stood up. Can't you just see him taking the pulpit? And motioning with his hand. I love it when the Bible gives us details. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly what motion he made with, with his hands. It might have been this, okay? Or it might, what I think it was was this. I think he was coming after those guys to let them know there is a way to be encouraged if you understand the epic significance of the law and the epic significance of the prophets. These guys didn't have it. It was like Mr. Physicist dude looking at the eclipse thinking, this is almost spiritual, but not. And this is, a it's almost like connecting with the, it, but it's, it, there's a disconnect. So Paul's going to connect them to the one who is the hero of the story. And so he begins his message. First of all, he says, men of Israel, who is that? The men of Israel is simply the descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. And so there was a collection of Jews there. But then notice this. There was a second group of people in the synagogue. He identifies them as men who fear God. Who were those people? Those are our people. Now I'm looking around the room here, and there's probably a few here that have some Hebrew heritage and Jewish blood in you, and there may even be somebody here who would say I'm a Jew. But for the most of us, we're not descendants of Abraham. But I hope we can say 
We are men who fear God. And why were they there? It's because they could not deny the epic significance of the history of Israel. The fact that they still exist as a nation, the fact that they still existed as a people group, was an evidence that God was keeping His promise by keeping Israel alive at this time. And so they both gathered together. Paul addresses them, men of Israel, people who fear God. This is what he says, verse 17. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out. If you'd like a little summary of the Bible, you can do it in a few words. God led them out. What's he referring to? He's going way back to the first few pages of the Bible, starting with their father, Father Abraham. And do you remember when we started this series? We started in Genesis chapter 12 with the story of Father Abraham. God called him out of the place he was living and he told him to go to a very specific place and he gave him a fourfold promise. He promised to bless him. He promised to make him a great nation and he promised to give him a promised land and he promised that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. That's how the whole story begins in Genesis chapter 12. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, we're told that in that moment, God was giving Abraham the gospel. Notice it says in the scripture, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so he goes on going through the Old Testament stories. And finally, he says, um, he led them out. We looked at that story. Do you remember the path of the promise? When the nation of Israel had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and to get them out, what did God do for them? God sent an angel that was going to send judgment upon Egypt, but if Abraham's people, if the people of Israel would kill a lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put it over the doorpost and on each side, the people could be led out, but only under the blood. And so in the first few pages of the Bible, we are being introduced to the blood of the Lamb. I did a little painting yesterday. I painted our front door. And, uh, and there were times I was, I was painting up here, but after a while I looked down and I had paint down there. That's what happens when you paint up here. So here are these men of Israel dipping their paintbrushes in, or hyssop branches actually is what it was, in the blood and putting it up here. Don't you think they drop some down there? And then on each side. And what do we see? We see a cross. Do you understand the epic significance of the Old Testament stories? What Paul is doing is taking them back to see what was meant to be previews of coming attractions in Jesus. He finally gets to verse 18 and says, And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. He put up with them. How many of you are grateful that God puts up with you? Why does God put up with them? We look at that and like, why would he even bother? Why would he even bother putting up with us? Do you know why he puts up with us? Because he's a keeper of his promise. 
And He sanctifies us. And He he uses trials and discipline to get us to a better place. And that's what He was doing with the nation of Israel. And Paul was explaining this to them. In verse 19, after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, He gave them their land as an inheritance. Now He's in the book of Joshua. Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. And so he's explaining the book of Joshua to them. Then in verse 20, all this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges. Judges is the seventh book of the Bible. And until he gave them Samuel the prophet. We have first and second Samuel in our Bibles. Paul is going verse by verse, book by book through the Old Testament. He's preaching an epic series. Now, do you understand that these are just the bulletin notes for that particular service? Okay, He's probably now into his third hour of motioning with his hand and standing and unpacking the Old Testament promises. And so what we have here is the outline of his epic sermon series. Verse 21, and they asked for a king. That was a bad plan. We want a king. I'm your king. Oh, we we want a king like all the other nations. I'm your king. Yeah, but you're not a king like everybody. We want a king. We, so we, all of our friends have kings, and, and we don't have a king. All of our friends have an iPod, an iPad, an iPhone. I want an iPhone. It'll destroy you. I, say, I want it to destroy me. I, I, all of my friends are being destroyed by iPhones, and so I want an iPhone. I'm sorry, did I just regress into fatherhood for a minute? I'm sorry. Let me go back to pastor mode here. We want a king. I'm your king. We still want a king. All right, you can have a king. So God gave them Saul. And that went good for about six months. The son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed Saul. Now we're in 1 Samuel 15. You know know why he had to remove Saul? Because Saul disobeyed God. And so he rejected Saul from being king. And said, next. And now we're introduced to the next king. He raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Verse 23. And of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior. Next word. That was less than enthusiastic. Let me give you another run at that. And from this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior. Jesus. That was the first time these people had heard His name. Jesus. Paul was pointing to Jesus as their promised Messiah. What are the next three words of the verse? As He promised. God keeps His promise. Jesus is the promise keeper. And Paul is helping them to understand everything you've been reading for hundreds of years in the synagogue, the law, the prophets, and everything in between is all pointing to Jesus. Every epic story of the Bible is the unfolding story of Jesus. Do you remember what God told Abraham to do? He told him to take his son, Isaac, And to slaughter him. Do you remember this? We called this the price of the promise. And so Abraham obeys God and he doesn't understand. 
But he goes to the very specific place that God told him to go, Moriah. And the Bible tells us that Isaac carried the wood that would be the altar of his own execution. And that Abraham bound his son and Isaac laid on the altar. And I believe he had to do that voluntarily because I think that Isaac could have run away from a 111-year-old Abraham or taken him out for that matter. And so he voluntarily lays his life down under the knife of his father. And we read this in Genesis 22, 22 chapters into the Bible. And we, we, in, in our human minds, the Bible is forcing us to grapple with the pain and the injustice of a father watching his son die under his own hand. The Bible says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him. Isaac carries the wood. One day Jesus would carry the wood. Do you know where this whole scene took place? On the exact spot where Jesus carried the wood and laid his life down on the cross And Abraham, just as he was about to take the life of his son, God interrupts him and says, turn around. He turns around and he sees a ram caught in the thicket. God has provided for himself the lamb. Abraham takes the lamb, pushes Isaac out of the way. Instead of killing his son Isaac, he sacrifices the ram in the place of Isaac. And from Genesis chapter 22, we are reading the preview of coming attractions. That one day a heavenly father would take his son, his only son, whom he loved, and he would allow him to be the sacrifice in our place, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, I don't know about you, but it's so encouraging to me to see how all of these individual Bible stories that I first heard as a kid really do weave together to make one overarching grand narrative. And that's Trent Griffith of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana, reviewing much of what we've learned throughout this series right here on Resonate. If you'd like to go back and listen to any of these previous messages, you can do so in one of two ways. First, if you're listening to our podcast on a mobile device, you can simply scroll back through your podcast feed and find the podcast starting from mid-May up till now. Or if you prefer looking it up on our website, all of our Resonate programs are there. Just go to mygospelcity.org slash resonate. And if you'd like to hear more teaching from Trent Griffith, why don't you visit Gospel City Church for a worship service? We meet in Granger, not too far from University Park Mall, and also in Elkhart County on County Road 20. For more information about service times and locations, just visit mygospelcity.org and click or tap where you see I'm new here. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. 
Well, it has truly been an epic series. And next week on Resonate, this series comes to a close. So don't miss Pastor Trent's powerful conclusion to this message and this series. Well, have a great and safe Labor Day weekend. And thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus. And my prayer is that God's word would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio and podcast ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.